Well, tonight we are here with uh, Jen, and we're going to have uh, talk about mainly we're going to talk about apologetics, I think, a little bit. Um, but if you were going to introduce yourself to the folks that don't know you, how would you introduce yourself, Jen? That's a tough question. I've got a long life story. I realize as you get older, your story just gets longer. But um, I would say that I am a former prodigal okay. that God drew back to himself and has radically shifted my entire life yeah. over the last 10 years or so. And yeah. I just have grown to love him more and more deeply the more I've gotten to know him and understand him. Awesome. Very good. And you're a mother. I am. All right. We have uh, your daughter in the background. Say something loud so everybody can hear you. Something. All right. <laughs> Allison's back there. Um, my buddy Allison. So, um, so yeah, uh, you've, um, you know, you said 10 years. I guess uh, I've known you seven years. Mm -hmm. So all I know of you is in the church. Mm -hmm. So give me a little bit of that story, the the prodigal story. Um. I grew up in the church. Mm -hmm. Both my parents are Christians. Uh, my dad kind of led a home church and served in different churches. So I, I grew up with a pretty solid foundation, but there were some things that happened in high school and in college that just kind of drew me away. And some of it was my own sin, and some mm -hmm. of it was Satan deliberately throwing roadblocks. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't savvy enough to understand that Satan was deliberately trying to mess with me. Yeah, And I fell away. And some of the reason I fell away is because I didn't have the apologetics to know that what we believed was true. Yeah. It wasn't just stories. Right. You know, we didn't just color Noah's Ark coloring pages and go, all right, have a good week. There's yeah. reasons for what we believe. Yeah. And I didn't have those reasons. Mm -hmm. So when I went to secular college and some of my friends were pretty hardcore atheists, mm -hmm. it was really easy to say, well, maybe this stuff's not true, and I can just do whatever I want, live however I want, and it will be fine. Yeah. But God wouldn't ever let me just be an atheist. Right. I couldn't cross that bridge. And when I kind of flirted with coming back and forth and getting serious about my faith, and when we started going through the adoption process to adopt Allison is when God started really, like, showing up. Mm-hmm. Because we couldn't find an agency that would take us or there was roadblocks and I would surrender. Okay, God, if you don't want me to be a mom, you know, I understand I've lived a pretty sinful life and maybe I shouldn't be a mom. I surrender this to you. You take care of it. Mm -hmm. The next day we had an agency. Yeah. You know, Lord, I surrender this pro part of the process. And the next day that got solved. Yeah. Up to the point where somebody asked me. Have you heard anything? Have you heard anything? And it's like, this process could take years. Yeah. We've been on the list for two weeks. Right. But it sent me home in tears because you just, it's emotional. It's an emotional yeah, process. Yeah. And I remember praying that the next morning before going to work, because I used to teach high school. And I was blow drying my hair. And I was like, God, you know what? Help me just embrace the waiting. Because once you get a kid, your whole life's going to change. Yeah. You might as well just enjoy being a couple. Yeah. Like, celebrate it, enjoy it. All right, God, I've Thank you for that perspective. I, yeah. Yeah. That lasted for 90 minutes because then we got the call that we were getting <laughs> Allison. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it happened pretty fast. Yes. Oh, wow. So we had, we were told she'd be born in 13 weeks and she decided to show up in seven. Mm. So we, we had lots of busyness. Yeah. But yeah. through the process of parenting, I also started to understand unconditional love. Yeah. 
And I also understood discipline. Mm -hmm. And it was then that God's rules really like, oh, these weren't to keep me from having fun. These were keep me safe. And I remember the moment that really hit me was when Allison was running toward her swing set. And one of the swings was swinging because she'd hopped off of it, run to tell me some adventure she was having, and then ran back. And she wasn't paying attention. And I saw her forehead mm-hmm. going for that swing. Mm-hmm. And I said, yelled, Allison, stop. And she said, I'm fine. Ran right in the swing. Yeah. And I went, oh, God. You have scars I've done that. Mm-hmm. Lord, how many times have I done that to right. you? Where you've said, don't do. Yeah. And I ran right into that swing. Mm-hmm. And then you sat there and loved me anyway. Yeah. And it was, it was kind of that moment that I went, oh, now I see. And God just really kind of hammered me with, then get serious. Yeah. And that's when I started reading the Bible like I was on fire. Yeah. And it just changed everything. Is Sorry. it bedtime? Sorry. <laughs> it's a little bit more important than can't, this, I guess. I can't believe. I mean, my phone is never has the ringer on. That's like your thing. You're, I, whoever's calling you is calling It must me. have got shifted in my pocket or something because i never have the ringer on he's like very anti ringer oh, yeah. yes because i never I'm, have mine oftentimes either. i'm in pretty serious conversations i don't want my phone going on right like this so yeah and so <laughs> it's working I'm, out so well i'm sorry <laughs> i didn't turn it on on purpose um do we need to retake no we're good <laughs> <laughs> um so uh back to um yeah so god does um and i think it's it's tough for a lot of people to to cross that barrier, but when they do, it's it's really good when you cross over from thinking God wants to take something from me to to God loves me and wants me to thrive. He wants me to thrive as an image bearer of you know mm-hmm. of Him and and to you know to to live life with you know with purpose and and safety right it's safety I was always part of it, but I think also it's just enjoyment like living what you're supposed to be you know what you're called to be and life more abundant right to the full right and i think that's what i realized uh there was a sermon that i heard and somebody likened it to being a diver with a weight belt Mm -hmm. and all those sins are what's holding you down and when you start really letting them go that's when you realize you're free yeah and it was like oh yeah so um allison comes along you get more serious. You're getting more serious about your faith during that time. But mm-hmm. at some point, you just you get really start digging into the word. Mm-hmm. Is that Allison's here now, and you start really getting into it? And yeah, I think it was when we moved here. Um, so I quit teaching mm-hmm. and started staying home with her, and that was kind of the plan was for me to stay home for a few years yeah. and just be mom before mm-hmm. she went to school. How'd that and, work out? Um, well, we bought a house where the schools weren't maybe so awesome. And we thought, well, we won't live here very long because it's the Army. We'll only be here three years. Right. Yeah, we've been there 10 years. So, But when it was time to send her to school, um, I said, I I don't want to send her. It's 7.30 till 3.30. That's crazy for a five-year-old. And my husband said, well, I think you should homeschool. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, when your atheist husband says, I think you should homeschool, you say, yes, God. Yeah. You know, that was a pretty clear sign that yeah. that was not yeah. my my will. It was God. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you're back to teaching high school, high school yet? No, no. Middle not school. Yet. Middle school. Okay. Right. Just seventh grade. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so how's how's that been? How's, have you enjoyed homeschooling? A lot of people look at me like I have two heads. And I know you mm-hmm. guys homeschooled, so you understand it. But 
people think, I could never homeschool. And the answer is no. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. Yeah. But when God steps in, it's part of the process. I'm yeah. not just homeschooling for her benefit. It's for me. Yeah. I thought I was a really patient person before I had children. <laughs> I did not realize that having kids challenges you in all the ways that you think you've got this life on lock. And it's like, yeah. no, you're not really all that patient. And I've had to learn to be selfless on a whole new level. I've had to learn to be patient. I've had to learn to understand a totally different learning style than I'm comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And God has grown me just as much as he's grown her through the process. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, I hesitate to say this because, you know, we have so many educators and all that stuff, but I just feel like if there's any way you could possibly do it, it's, it's the way to go. Like, um, now I, I know our, my kids aren't exactly great advertisements for homeschooling, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Nice. Love you. Nice one. Love, Love you, you, buddy. Love you. Um, we have one of those moments every single podcast. <laughs> so I'm going to do a replay of this. I'm thankful. Uh, um, you know, for me, the big thing was like, there was nobody I'd rather my kids get dropped off with than their mom. You know, like I'd, I'd rather them be with their mom. Um, than some, you know, person that I didn't know that well or didn't have the same values as us and mm-hmm. um, with a bunch of kids that didn't have the same value, you know. Well, and I taught yeah. in the public schools for 17 years. Mm-hmm. So I am familiar with public school. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I got out of it that I realized how much was wrong with the system yep. and how much stuff is in there that really is anti-Christian. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, so... At some point in your in your growth as a Christian, getting more and more serious, and um, you get him or you get attracted to apologetics. Right. So that actually happened because when my husband and I got married, we were both kind of nominal Christians. Mm-hmm. I was probably stronger than he was, but. We went to church once in a while. We joined Sunday school here and there, mm-hmm. but it wasn't anything that was like how we lived. Mm-hmm. Then God got a hold of me, and I started getting pretty radical. Okay. You know, I was read. I read the Bible three times in a year and a half. Yeah. When you spend that much time in God's Word, it starts to change you. Oh yeah. And yeah. it starts to come out of your mouth. Yeah. Well, I'm doing this because in Matthew six mm-hmm. it says, you know, yeah. and he found the YouTube atheists mm-hmm. about the same time I found Jesus. Oh yeah. So he would throw things out at me like, well, you know, there are more mistakes in the New Testament than there are words. That's like. No, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So I go to Google and start going, oh, that's true. Oh, does that mean everything I believe is a lie? Well, a little further down the search, you start yeah. realizing they're scribal errors. Mm-hmm. And the only reason there are so many mistakes is because we have so many copies that if you stacked them on top of each other, it would reach a mile into the mm-hmm. s- sky. So one error copied 25,000 times, they're counting all those as separate errors. It's like, well, that's yeah. not really and we're not, different. we're not talking about substantive errors that change the meaning of the text. No. You're talking about punctuations and yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the wrong letter here or there. Right, somebody yeah. used Jesus, somebody used Christ, like things like that. Right, right. I think they said there's less than 1% that even touches a doctrinal issue. Yeah. And even less than that, that touches on something that's not covered somewhere else in scripture. So let's do, um, just for folks that may not be aware and a little education for me too. Can you give a, a, a simple definition for apologetics? Yeah. Um, so there's actually a, a verse that I call the apologetics theme verse. 
and it's 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. And in the Greek, make a defense is apologia. Mm -hmm. So that's where we get the term apologetics. But that verse also tells us how we should do apologetics. Mm -hmm. We start with Christ first, and you're always prepared to give a defense for the reason for the hope that is in you. So you've got to look different than the world. If you're walking around looking like the world, no one's going to ask you what's different about you. And then how do you handle it? You do it with gentleness, and you do it with respect. Because you're not going to win somebody over by offending them. Mm-hmm. The word of God is offensive enough. Yeah. We don't need to add to it if we can help it. Yeah. Um, and so in your pursuit of, um, of, and we would call it defending the faith, mm-hmm. maybe, um, we're not apologizing, right? We're, right. <laughs> we're, uh, we're offering a defense. We're defending the faith. Um, you go through... Uh, learning more about how to do that. And what we're talking about is defending the faith to those who um, don't have any faith, right? Like people who don't believe there is a God, right? Um, and, and I guess at some, at some point, I guess, apologetics towards uh, directed at other religions too, I guess. Yeah, I mean, my focus tends to be on people that are more skeptical or more mm-hmm. agnostic. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't done a ton of study into other world religions, right. But we do focus on what is our worldview and why does it matter. Yeah. Um, and so you've you've pursued a lot of training on your own mm-hmm. in, in this, right? So to talk about some of that. Well, you know, my husband would come with his questions, and I would go Google yeah. and search, and I realized that this was kind of playing spiritual whack-a-mole. Yeah. And I needed a solid foundation for one because it kept shaking my faith. Mm-hmm. So once I started realizing there were good answers, then I started saying I need a foundation. Like, I need to understand why we believe this is true for myself Mm -hmm. so that when he brings a challenge, I can actually answer him right Mm -hmm. there. And that's when I started really kind of studying. And I found people like Jim Warner Wallace, who does Cold Case Christianity, Mm -hmm. which is super fun if you're kind of into crime shows, which I am. He's a former cold case detective. In fact, he's been on Dateline more than any other cold case homicide detective. Mm -hmm. And if you saw God's Not Dead 2... The courtroom scene, he's in that. And he's got a really interesting podcast, and all of his take on who Jesus is is really interesting because he was an atheist. Yeah. And he became a Christian at 35 because he investigated the Gospels like witness statements mm-hmm. and used forensic techniques to study them and said, this stuff's true. Mm-hmm. So I found him, and I, then I found all the people that he talks to on his podcast right. and followed mm-hmm. all them. Yep. You know, Dr. William Lane Craig, who's way smarter than I'll ever be. Just listening to him sometimes makes you go, I'm not sure what he's talking about, but I'm glad he loves Jesus. I'm Mm -hmm. glad he's on our side. (laughs) Yeah. In my experience, uh, people who, um, who are interested and get really into apologetics tend to be, um, more, uh, what's the right, I'm trying to think of a complimentary way to say this, to, um, scholarly minded, you know, <laughs> uh, intellectual, uh, intellectual. Yeah. Um, in yeah. their heads a lot, you know, uh, mm-hmm. thoughtful. Um, but yeah, uh, people who, um, like to give a lot of thought to, to stuff, which, you know, is, is not a negative at all. So, and, and thankful that those people are there, uh, so, um, 
So as you're pursuing those, so you you actually have begun to to do some teaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I teach an online women's book book study group, and I've been mm-hmm. doing that for a couple of years. And this summer, I went to a conference called the Cross Examined Instructors Academy, mm-hmm. and it was geared toward people that are pretty deep into apologetics, but how to then present it. Yeah. And it took how to teach instead of just knowing the information. Right. And it really made an impact on me to get to go and meet all these apologists, for one, that I've listened to. Yeah. Like, I feel like they're my friends. And then to get to sit with them. Right. And they're just as nice in real life. Yeah. You know, I had lunch with all of them. Yeah. You know, each one of them sat with me and had lunch at a different time. And it was just kind of like God just going, see, you're where you're you're supposed to be. That's cool. And it was really nice. But, um, yeah, I did did some teaching at First Baptist Church. That that conference, is that the one that Jared and Deborah went to? Um, They didn't actually get to go this year. Oh, okay. But they would like to go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I thought they had gone to something. Yeah, they they were talking about going. They went to... Oh, yeah. I think I think it was yeah, it was yeah. Southeastern Seminary's Sorry. like evangelistic conference or something. But yeah, um, and so, uh, but Jared and Deborah also have an interest in this, and mm-hmm. and so you guys connected somehow uh, on that. I was reading my "I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist" book because okay. most of the the content at Cross Examined they want you to be pretty knowledgeable on that book. There's about mm-hmm. ten books they want you to read, mm-hmm. but they want you to kind of focus on that one. And I was actually preparing for VBS, mm-hmm. and I was waiting for Lynn to start our meeting for VBS, yeah. and I had my book. Yeah. And Jared, oh, we're going to try and go to the conference this summer. I said, I'm going to the conference. I just found out that I was accepted, and I'm, you know, and we started talking, and yeah. that's how our yeah. apologetics group kind of got born. That's cool. And so y'all uh, wanted to um, teach that book mm-hmm. to to a group. So y'all been doing that. So... Um, so do you feel like that's a good introductory book for, for folks into the world of apologetics? I think it's a good comprehensive book. Yeah. Um, it's pretty scientific heavy in some of the chapters. Mm-hmm. So it kind of depends on where your mindset is. But it's broken down in such a way that you see from the beginning to the end a pathway of what is truth and what is the truth. Right. And he kind of walks you through chapter by chapter from the beginning of the universe to Jesus had to come back from the dead. Right. The resurrection is true. And he walks you through kind of the whole progression. Yeah. So really at the end, there's that's why the book's called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, because right. it takes more faith to believe that all this right. came from nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, now I confess I haven't read the book, but um, but listen to a little bit of uh, Frank. Frank Turek. Mm-hmm. Turek. Um, and, uh, and I think he was doing sort of a, you know, condensed lecture on the book, but he was answering or said there's four questions that needed to be answered. Is mm-hmm. that is that kind of the way the book yeah, is? Yeah, I think is there's framed? twelve they do they go through, yeah. but like what is truth? Yeah, what is there is there truth, right? Is mm-hmm. there such is truth real? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, which is uh up for debate, right? <laughs> in in our world. Is there such a thing as truth? I mean, right. Your truth, my truth, right? We all got our own truth. <laughs> yes. So um, that's Allison definitely a said, focus. Isn't that an opinion? Right. True. <laughs> yes. she, she spends a lot of time listening in the backseat to all my apologetics podcasts. Yeah. So, but um, 
Yeah, he, so he focuses on what is truth. How do you identify truth? How do you point out to people when they're not speaking truth? Right. So some of the um, apologetic techniques is from another book called Tactics by Greg Kokel. And when somebody says, there is no truth. Is that true? Is that true? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. you need to turn it on their head. Right. He calls that, uh, Frank calls it the roadrunner tactic. Yeah. Because you show them that there's no ground underneath them. They've run off the cliff chasing the roadrunner and their yeah. wily coyotes sitting in the midair and there's nothing underneath them. Mm -hmm. Like, the only way you can know anything is science. Oh, mm -hmm. did you use science to come to that conclusion? Because mm -hmm. you can't use science to come to any kind of conclusion mm -hmm. philosophically. Yeah. So it's how do you get people to recognize there is truth? Mm-hmm. And then how do you know what it is? Yeah. So he walks you through the origin of the universe, the fine-tuning of the universe, which I think is just mind-blowing. I think the current count is that there's 922 constants that have to be within teeny tiny parameters for yeah. intelligent human life to exist, or we're not here. Right. Yeah, the... Uh I remember him talking through that, and I was just thinking about how, you know, all things are upheld by the Word of God. You know, it's a, it's um, in His design, His making of the universe, um, He still holds it up. He still is held up by by His Word. Mm -hmm. um, and so, for folks out there who, you know, questioning because they they hear this all the time what i just said you know is there truth my truth your truth it's all relative um what what would you point them to you know what's what's the i know you got the answer well is that true but i mean, for somebody who's like just kind of a christian who's just hearing everything the world's saying right how do you how do you give them what's a what's a good intro apologetics answer to hey yeah there there is truth here's what you can answer on that not just the, um, mm. you know, is that true, you know? Well, and I think when I talk to somebody who's skeptical, mm -hmm. one of the first things you want to do is ask them to explain what they're skeptical about. Right. Because I could give you a whole lecture on the fine-tuning of the universe, but if you're questioning whether or not there's a moral law, right. then I've wasted my time. Mm -hmm. So I think, for one, an easy answer is where did the universe come from? Mm -hmm. Because we all know nothing comes from nothing. Yep. Everything comes from something, and that's a logical thing. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, is design requires a designer. Yeah, We all know that this is true. If you find something that's clearly human-made in the woods, you recognize it immediately yeah. because there's a difference between divine design and human design, and we all recognize it. Yeah. Divine design also has features that we all recognize. We don't realize it, but there's a perfect sequence of numbers that repeats itself all throughout nature. Mm-hmm. There's things that are just so precisely measured that it has to be a divine creator. And then you add in, what would that look like if God wanted to talk to us but didn't want to take away our free will? How would he do that? Well, he'd pick this tiny little country that's kind of not really all that important and, and love them and guide them and rescue them and speak to them. Mm -hmm. And then he'd send his redeemer through these people that he has set apart throughout yeah. history. And one of the best arguments for the uh, resurrection is called the minimal facts argument. And uh, Dr. Gary Habermas is kind of the lead guy on that. But it's in the, the book, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And it walks through 
if we can only trust on the things that the skeptics will agree to, mm-hmm. can we still justify that the resurrection really happened? And the answer mm-hmm. is yes. Even the things that the atheist skeptics would say, yes, this is a true fact. Mm-hmm. Jesus died by crucifixion. Yeah. Uh, his disciples were scared and fled, and then they were all radically changed. Yeah. His Jesus' brother James was radically changed, and he was, a, by all accounts, a really serious Jew who followed yeah. every rule perfectly mm-hmm. and thought Jesus was crazy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he was a radical Christian. Right. And then you have, of course, Paul, who's yeah. had no reason to give up the power yeah. and prestige that he had, except that he saw the risen Jesus. Right. So when you put together the stuff about the universe and the stuff about fine-tuning, and then you look at the history of the Bible and the archaeology that backs up everything, yeah. Scripture is it is literally the most historically accurate ancient text there is. Yeah. Archaeologists use it as like their field guide to find things. No other religion has that kind of accuracy. Yeah, that's one of the things that's been very valuable for me in in the area of apologetics is the letting folks know that you can't, this easy dismissal of the Bible, um, you just can't do that. Um, You know, and and you see it all over the place, and and it's, it's like, you know, like you take it for granted, you know, okay, of course you can't trust that. Of course it's just a bunch of different people over without, you know, mm-hmm. it's got all these contradictions. And, and when you really dig in, um, that's not the case. And mm-hmm. you find it's very reliable. It's very accurate. You know, the um, whatever errors are there don't affect um, theology and doctrine. Um, so, um, And um, the people that have studied that, who look at how accurate, they, use, they do something called textual criticism. When they piece together all the different copies and they look at how they match up to piece out what is the mistake, is there an error somewhere here, what what is the original text, they say we've got a 98.5 or 99.5% accurate text that is literally the most accurate of any historical document. The closest is Homer's Iliad, and I think that's at like 95 or 92 or something like that. Yeah. yeah, and we've only got eighteen hundred, no, fifty eight hundred copies, I think, of that, yeah. and then we've got twenty five thousand of the New Testament. Yeah. Right, and that's that's where you're able to to get that consensus is you have so many copies, and the earlier the better, right? And that so, um, well, and they're all spread apart. Yeah. So if it had been changed, like so they always use yeah. the telephone telephone right. a- analogy, but you've got somebody over here in Spain who's got a copy of the New Testament that matches this guy over here in Asia. Yeah. That doesn't happen if they're being changed over time. Right. Right? So the fact that they all match and they all tell the same story and they all tell, I mean, even the non-Christian historical sources give you enough information to believe that Jesus is the Son of God without the Bible Mm -hmm. because they talk about this carpenter, from Galilee, who's nobody knew who he was, small town, had a tremendous following, did miraculous signs, and his his followers believed he came back from the dead. That's that's the external sources, right? You know, so if we have the Bible, which we have so much documentation that it's accurate, I think that's where we have to th- talk about why it's accurate. Is what you said on Sunday. That's how we know we have to follow it. 
and that we know what Jesus has asked us. Mm -hmm. We know what obedience to him looks like. I like to tell people that salvation isn't a prayer you pray one day. It's a a choice you make every day Mm -hmm. to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. And when we know the Bible is true, that gives us the confidence, especially in a world that says these are old-fashioned laws. Yeah. You know, why do you believe marriage is one man, one woman for a lifetime? That's so old fashioned, you know, because this is what God said. This isn't my morality. Take it up with him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I was listening to a discussion about marriage and the person was a conservative person and a more liberal person. Conservative person was trying to defend that this person was Catholic, actually trying to defend traditional marriage and the definition of marriage and mm-hmm. and the the person questioning them kept saying what is a gay marriage how does a gay marriage hurt your marriage right hurt a straight person's marriage and they they kept talking around like just kind of missing each other cuz the the mm-hmm. conservative person the, was trying to say it's not about it's not about hurting my marriage it's about hurting marriage right that Mm, it's hurting the family right that if we if we take away the meaning of of marriage if we take away the meaning of family if we take away the meaning of genders right um, and we remove those things as as you know for us as christians said as god has designed and given them to us for our good and for our joy right Mm -hmm. um and for the good of society um and if we remove that out then we get the effects that we see around us, right? And it's you can take out homosexuality, you can take out all that other. You just talk about minimizing the importance of marriage for heterosexual couples, and you know, just diluting the importance of it, diluting what it means, diluting what it is. When you remove it from, this is a covenant between a man and a woman that is supposed to be an earthly representation of the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. The Jesus's relationship with the church, Jesus's loving relationship that he laid down his life for the church and and that he will deliver her as a spotless bride, you know. Mm-hmm. And so um so when we talk about the importance of defending some of these things, you know, people go what's it how does it bother you? What's it bother you? And like I, because it hurts a generation it hurts our culture it hurt you know sorry um <laughs> but uh amen yeah some of these things are uh, and it hurts our children yeah um there's a book called them before us mm-hmm. and it talks about the importance of kids having a right to their biological parents yeah and adoption obviously is a beautiful thing it's given me a family but that's not the ideal The ideal would be for her to have her biological parents in her life. The ideal is for each child to know their biological father, biological mother, who are married to each other and live in a low-conflict setting. That's the ideal way to raise any child. Statistically, it's just fact, regardless of your faith. And when we take that away, we're creating a generation of children who don't understand stability, who don't understand the love of a father, the nurture of a mother, they've lost things that are irreplaceable. And I think people don't realize 
that it doesn't just matter if you're two loving people raising kids. There really is something about a husband and a wife raising their children together that balance each other. That's why God did it that way. Yeah, and <laughs> and it's another one of those things where um, maybe in the apologetics realm, you can sort of step outside the Bible and go, doesn't nature point to this, right? I mean, you know, this is this is kind of how this is how it works, right? The only right. only way you get procreation, right? So, yeah. um, well, and there's all sorts of physical things, like just from a secular standpoint, you know, not to go too far down the rabbit hole, but if I use my washing machine to wash car parts, it it might get them clean the first time or two, but eventually the washing machine is going to break down because that's mm-hmm. not what it's meant to do. Yeah. And our bodies are designed male for female. And God did that on purpose. And it's truly supposed to be a beautiful thing. Um, one of the apologetics books I uh, have read is called Mama Bear Apologetics Guide to Sexuality. And it's probably the one, most beautiful book on sexuality I've ever read. Because it starts with, what did God make this for? Mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be a taste of heaven. Yeah. That intimate re- relationship between a husband and wife is supposed to mirror mm-hmm. what we will experience when we get to heaven. Yeah. And it's like... We're not protecting that. Yeah. And it's kind of like a fire. Yeah. Fire in your fireplace is awesome. Yeah. Not so great in your kitchen on the yeah. floor or in your bedroom. You know? Yeah. Do you, you have, have an extra copy away. of that you could give to Sam? He's getting married <laughs> in a few months. So. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure that's the book that Sam actually needs. <laughs> I think he's got the whole male-female thing down. Yeah, we've already got that. Yeah, we're, we're pretty set on that. <laughs> All right. Um, so, uh, in in your working with our, our teaching folks who are just, uh, just sort of getting in, you're, you're exposing this to some folks. What what reactions do you have, um, positive or what's the? Do you have any pushbacks from? Let's just, we'll, we'll go po- positive first. So positive reactions. So I teach adults and I teach Mm -hmm. homeschool class. Mm -hmm. So the homeschool group tend to be kids that are raised in a Christian home and they tend to just be blown away by how much evidence there is to support what they've been taught their whole lives. Mm -hmm. Um, Adults tend to be more like, how do I then share this? And that's kind of the pushback because I haven't had a lot of skeptical people in my classes Mm -hmm. because I've been mostly focusing on other believers. But that's where they get the pushback is how do I talk to somebody else about mm. this? How do I bring it up at the barbecue when somebody mm. goes, oh, you have your faith. I'll take science. Yeah. How do you respond to that? You know, and I, I tell them I've actually had that conversation. And my yeah. response was, if my faith is true, science should back it up. Right. Now, we may not always understand how. But, you know, up until 100 years ago, everybody, all scientists said the earth was Eternal. Mm-hmm. Einstein deliberately fudged his math because the theory of general relativity was showing the universe was expanding, and mm-hmm. he didn't want there to be a beginning, mm-hmm. because if there's a beginning, there's a beginner and somebody who could tell him how he should live his life. Yeah. So I don't think people realize that this information that we've all grown up with is less than 100 years old scientifically. Yeah. Yeah. But Genesis had it right the whole time. So just because the Bible doesn't seem to line up with science, that doesn't mean we're understanding the Bible correctly, or that doesn't mean we know the science correctly. Right. You know, I think a lot of the science 
people will say, well, why didn't God put all this science in the Bible? Then we would have all recognized that it was true. Well, 2,000 years ago, the Bible had been full of, okay, there's these little creatures that crawl over your body and cause sickness. People would have tossed that book aside and said, this is ridiculous. I think God deliberately left science out so that it would be eternally perfect. That book will meet everybody's needs all the way through because the science doesn't need to be there. There's enough information in there to demonstrate the truth of who God is and that enough science that it corroborates what we know scientifically without boxing it in to a time period. Well, the problem today is science has the same issue as the first question that we were talking about. Is there truth, right? (laughs) Right. So I, I tell people science doesn't say anything scientists do and scientists are human and they have presuppositional bias Mm. which is a big fancy word for saying they came into the conversation with an opinion and they looked for the answers that were going to support what they already believed was true as opposed to let's be honest and follow where it goes that's how i handle arguments with my wife you come in with your ideas already said i know what how it's supposed to end up yeah (laughs) this is my story and i'm sticking to (laughs) it right yeah yeah so I know how this conversation is supposed to go, whether you do or not. So, um, yeah, very cool. So the the, um, the pushback I was thinking about, though, would be, um, and this is, this is confession, this is kind of like where I would kind of lean back into is like, like I don't want to learn all the logic and philosophy and like, like I'm, I like learning the Bible. You know what I mean? Like I, I need to know more Bible, and you know, um, so that kind of pushback. Like, you know, like why should we bother learning? Why, why I get to get a college degree to defend my faith? You know what I mean? <laughs> that that kind of thing. And I think that we all use the basic logic skills mm-hmm. that apologetics takes all the time, and we don't mm-hmm. even realize it. Yeah. So, apologetics will use lots of big fancy terms for things that we already all understand. You know, we use syllogisms. Okay, that's a big fancy word, but it just basically means a three-point argument. All healthy dogs have four legs. My dog Harley is a healthy dog, therefore Harley has four legs. Mm -hmm. Okay, we all understand logic like that intrinsically. So most of apologetics can use even just basic arguments like everything that begins to exist has a cause. Mm -hmm. You know, things don't just pop into existence. The universe began to exist. The universe has to have a cause. Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't necessarily get us to the God of the Bible, right. but it gets us to a God consistent with the Bible because we have a timeless, spaceless, immaterial creator who had a personal choice to create and then created this universe that's perfectly designed for human life. Mm-hmm. So we have a loving creator who's paying attention, like everything that the Bible says about God is already there. Mm. And then we can look at the accuracy of the Bible, and that brings us to the Christian God has to be the only one. So you don't have to have a degree to learn some really simple ways to just put a a stone in someone's shoe. You don't have to have a college degree to make somebody think, Mm. maybe there's something to this God thing. And ultimately, we are relying on the Holy Spirit to do mm-hmm. the work of changing somebody's heart. And in like in all evangelism, we're using the means that God has given us, which is the 
to speak the gospel and then to love someone and be kind to someone and also to reason with them as well. And God uses all those means as a way of then um, the Holy Spirit comes in and uses all of that to bring life to a, you know a, a cold heart and opens their eyes to to the truth of the gospel and and really changes somebody. Um, so ultimately, we're always relying on the Holy Spirit, right? right? Yeah. And sometimes you walk into a conversation that you think is going to be apologetics, yeah, and it turns out that they need a personal answer. Yeah. When somebody says, "How could God allow?" and they tell you some horrible scenario, yeah. it's always really important to say, "Well, why did you ask that?" Because if it's a personal story, they don't need my facts. Right. They need me to emotionally connect with them and sympathize and pray for them. Yeah. And that can be more powerful than any facts. You know, and we all have different roles yeah. to play, but God removes those obstacles yeah. with us. Yeah, and he can, yeah. he can show that he's close to the brokenhearted by your presence there with the person. Oh, so. yeah. We had a good uh, a good discussion here. I th- I'm not sure how long we've been talking, but it's been it's been good. I think uh, tell folks because you you do some writing and stuff online. Do you still do that? Yeah, I haven't been writing since my husband passed, just because okay. I think there's there's wisdom in stepping back from ministry when okay. you're going through something tough. Yeah. But um, yeah, I do have two websites: Heaven Not Harvard, okay. and The Mom Apologist. Okay. So it's like the a Mom Apologist. Yeah, M A M A Apologist. All right. And um, I'm hoping to get some more content and start being able to do that. But I've also joined the team at Mama Bear Apologetics okay. as a volunteer. Right. So I do, I'm do. i going to be doing some writing for them and cool. some research. So there are ways to learn more. Yeah. Uh, there are tons of podcasts and things out there that you can just kind of dip a toe in. Yeah. You know, you don't have to have a degree. You don't have to be a genius to just be comforted. Sometimes we all have doubts. Yeah. In the middle of the night when your life is not going the way you thought it was supposed to go, mm-hmm. it's comforting to know that there's good reasons for what we believe. Right. It's not just yeah. a hope that's kind of like a Disney wishing upon a star. Mm-hmm. It's solid. Yeah. You know, and, you know, the night my husband took his life, that was what saved my faith, mm-hmm. was I laid there and I said, okay, God, I know you created the universe. I know you tuned it just for us. I know the resurrection really happened. So I don't know why you allowed this to happen, but I know I can trust you with my life, even though I don't feel like it right now. Yeah. And that's what I hope. That's why I do apologetics yeah. is because I want people to know when they need it, that God is really real. Yeah. Yeah. Feelings and emotions can't get you through every, uh, no. every moment. So thank you for sharing. Yeah. Appreciate it. Um, yeah. I think we're finished up there. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Jen.